What's up, everybody? Welcome to Jambalaya, where we don't know what we're serving all the time, but we guarantee you'll probably like it. No, oh, you will like it. I mean, we hopefully. Hopefully. I, hopefully you guys like it. We don't it. want to be too presumptuous. I mean, we try and mix it up. I mean, throw some spices in there. Throw some meats, some exotic meats, some tastes. We're very confident you'll like it. I put it like that. To say guarantee, that's a little bit much. We're confident that you will like everything that we're about to serve you guys. Every like and um and word we say will be delicious. What? God, Cody. <laughs> what I do? God. Wait, Just you going right in for it. Anyway, you well. You didn't say like at all at that part. You're good. That's the end of the show, everybody. Oh, Thanks for listening. Kyle's going to beat me up now. But for anybody who's just now tuning in, my name is Kyle. I'm Cody. And thank you for listening. Matt, say hey. something. Hey. Because there's three of us here. Matt is our wonderful producer. He does, uh, let me do the math, probably about the uh, four, 98% of the work when it comes to this podcast. So once again, thank you, Matt, for being here. Thank hey. you, Matt. Okay. <laughs> this is so enthusiastic. <laughs> So humble. Let's keep it humble. So, on the menu today, I think we're going to go with something not very sexy, something pretty bland. Identity politics. No controversy about that. No, none None. whatsoever. It's not like people are hearing it everywhere. Identity politics. Doesn't that just make your blood boil, Cody, as a size-gendered white male? It just makes you scared. Because I know people are going to get mad at me if we talk about identity politics. Because I'm the wrong identity for this. Well, that's the thing, I guess. I mean, well, before we start talking about identity politics, I think it's important to like come up with just like a working definition of what identity politics is. And to be honest, I'm just going to go with the Wikipedia version of this definition because that seems like it covered the most ground. Identity politics... Colon mark. Colon mark? Or just colon. I yeah, politics. Colon. colon. Sorry. <laughs> Could have snapped her like a pencil stick. <laughs> Identity politics, colon. The tendency for groups of composed of various ethnicities or specific ethnicities, I'm sorry, to group together and form political alliances based on their group identity. Now, I always was kind of confused when I heard the term political, I mean, when I heard the term identity politics, mostly because from where I was, sit, from where I was sitting at the time and from the way I under, have come to understand politics is that, yeah, identities are involved in politics. We have politics because that's the mechanism that we use to get past identity. And so, but it's... Having an identity isn't like a drawback because there are, well, just historically, some of the policies that have been enacted or implemented in this country, like within the context of America specifically, have affected one group differently than others. So politics is how we somehow try and mitigate those historical differences. The Crow laws, I forgot the first name. The oh, uh, James Crow? Yeah. Is it? Joseph Crow. Crow Crow. The mm. things about voting that made it hard Jefferson for Crow. Jefferson Crow. That sounds like a band. Ah, Jim Crow. Jim Crow, Jim that's Crow. it. That's the one. But Cody. Yes. 
What are your thoughts on identity politics? I think it, it there's two scenarios. There's identity politics and personal conversations between people. And then there's identity politics in terms of how political parties work in the actual parties of the United States. Okay, so the first one you said, the conversation between individual people? Yeah, and even in like social media or in public forums to where you're supposed to behave a certain way or you're assumed to have certain politics by your identity. Ah, okay. So, uh, okay, I guess I kind of get what you're saying. So I can't talk about identity politics without mentioning uh, how identity politics is used as kind of like uh, this weaponized term. Uh, It's been used mostly by right-wing groups or just conservative groups. It's kind of become like... um, the retaliation against uh, remarks like the deplorables that are leveled against people on the right. So if someone on the left who is trying to shut down an argument by calling someone a racist or a sexist or anything like that, then someone on the right can now have that weapon in their little arsenal and just say, oh, well, you're just playing identity politics, which is, I mean... I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, because once again, it just goes back to what I said before. It's just that all I, all politics are revolve around people's identities and how we're trying to mitigate those identities while we live in this country. Yeah, you want more equality, and then there's less equality based on past policies. So it's like you can't you can't say that our identity isn't a factor, race isn't a factor, because it's how it was legislated. It's used for legislation. And it's just kind of weird. I mean, because when we hear this term, well, when this term gets weaponized like that, you have to ask the question of just like, why was it necessary to do this? I mean, and then when you start asking yourself that question, it kind of starts like the reasoning behind it kind of starts to take form. I mean, because if you want to get really down to it, uh, at some level, you could say people don't like well, people on the right don't like identity politics mostly because it works. Uh, it helps like build cohesiveness between like marginalized groups. And so if all of these marginalized groups are somehow getting some kind of solidarity and becoming more and gaining more political capital in the country that we live in, somehow that's viewed as uh, it seems like somehow that's viewed as a threat somehow. But at the same time, I've never understood why that's viewed as a threat i think it's on the individual level to where somebody feels like if they're talking and then they're accused of they like they can't express an opinion about something because they're white or male and then they go because you said that you're racist and then it turns into your opinions are discounted because you're not the right identity to talk about it and also that's rude i like what you just said right there because like that does happen like i've seen it happen because like if you are like cody one of those goddamn devil worshiping straight white size gendered males who knew i was one of satan's (laughs) followers i had no idea then it does seem like okay so it seems like you will encounter more resistance, but I also think that more people will level more resistance at you if they don't know like what side you're on politically. I mean, you know what? Actually, I'm going to walk that back a little bit. No matter what side you are on politically, if you are a person who identifies as a straight, white, cisgendered male, uh, if you are in that category 
then you are perceived to have like the more privilege than anyone else. So it doesn't really like matter which side you're on. If you are saying anything to the contrary of what I guess another group is saying, then it's interpreted as you saying something from a place of privilege and how and you basically kind of don't understand you or you can't understand where these people are coming from. And when I say you can't understand, I'm just saying that that's just me jumping into their shoes. Or I, I mean, I'm a black person into our shoes. That's I mean, one, empathy that's what is a good thing. Like. Yes, everybody em- should have empathy. That's a yeah. It's everybody a should skill. have empathy. Everybody definitely should have empathy. But I'm just saying that gets lost in it. It just gets lost in translation. I think mostly because once again, if you're a person who is a part of that privileged class, any political battle. Or any battle that involves like a policy in America that could affect people's lives, it's like you're wearing a sh- a suit of armor against it. Like anything, like you can't really be affected by that much. And in that, and then if you d- take in that perspective, then it's almost like the stakes and things aren't as high from you. And I say that uh, that makes me think about uh, God. I forget who made this quote, but it is the. God, some political scientists, but I really enjoyed this quote because I think it's just like can spread to so many things or cover so much ground. And basically what it is, it's just that when the upper class gets a cold, then the lower class gets Ebola. <laughs> like, do you kind of understand no, what I mean when I, I was, say that? I was going to say, I mean, that's the thing, though, is you- it, you're right. Where privilege means that, like, if the country, if there's a downturn, if you're in the upper class, you don't feel as much as as everybody else. But that's like somebody could still, because there's there's different types of people can have a range of opinions about fiscal matter matters or social matters. So you could have somebody that's like, no more debt, and then their argument would be like, we need less welfare, <laughs> which. You say less welfare, then that's never really going to negatively aff- affect minorities. I don't want to like stop you from your point, but you saying that just made me think. I wonder how many people just say shit just to be contrarian, like just just to start some shit, just to have an argument with someone, and then people overhear it, and then suddenly they think all these brilliant points are being made, and it's just like, no, nah, this person was just started off talking shit, like they didn't. <laughs> So like, you, are you think there's a lot of uh, commentators that are just like I just got to keep playing the role, man. I'm stuck with it. Well, obviously, I do a yeah. YouTube video this week. Like we'll go back. God, <laughs> Steve Crowder. Oh yeah, like he's one of those guys. I think it's Steve Crowder. Like I can identify, but he him. wants the enjoyment. Like he's trying to entertain an audience, and that his is audience true. is those people. Okay, so there are a couple of people who I think are like that, and I'm gonna be biased in my assessment of this because I'm only gonna name people on the right. It's Steve Crowder, Tommy Laren, and God, uh, the conservative millennial. What's that woman's name? The one that was on Fox, but then got kicked off of Fox. No, no that's Tommy Laren, but there's oh. a third. Uh, well, there's remember. a second blonde woman who she was. She's been on. She's is kind of a commentator, but she mostly sticks to social media. Her name's Allie something, but her handle on Facebook is the conservative millennial. And there's a couple of more out there like them. But anyway, they're a part of this group that their brand is conservatism and their brand supplies them a way to 
maintain their like living situation. And so if they ever deviate from that brand, then they will lose the ability to maintain their livelihoods or maintain their, their state of life. Yeah, but that's super interesting because that's like there's identity politics plays out for the different types of person. I mean, in a business sense. Mm-hmm. So like they're professional media people. So like they got to be on brand and on message because mm-hmm. that's what their audience expects. But like when you're interacting with other people just as a person there's certain assumptions that people make before they even talk to you it's a thing to where if you talk to somebody that uh is not cis white straight whatever and then they see somebody that looks like a frat guy wearing like a collared shirt or just somebody that's like straight blonde hair wearing makeup then it'll be like they're either a becky or a chad to where all of a sudden if you go like becky or chad then you're like oh that's the type of person i'm afraid of because those are the type of people that are intolerant and might try to beat me up later uh. which isn't necessarily true but like it's a safety measure because you don't know which the identity politics of that is unfair are we about to have that very dangerous conversation about how stereotypes are made for a reason and that reason is because they're kind of true that i mean yeah <laughs> Matt, the, were you, oh Matt's going like maybe i think i i think with the identity politics, it seems like so much more. I'm trying to think of how to say this. Say what you want, Matt. We can we, oh. say it. Like, as a white dude, I just you hate whites. Don't really so have an identity. That, that is also fair. I'm glad yeah, you said that. that no, it, continue. It Please means, continue. It, it, it really means nothing to me. And you know there there are a lot of white people out there, and I don't want to say it like this, but there are a lot of white stay, people out there. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's the problem. Of, <laughs> instead of saying instead of saying like white pride, it becomes something that's acceptable. I'm proud of being Irish. I'm proud of being German. You know. You know what? Actually, I'm Scandinavian what, what, and I'm proud. All yeah. of those things are preferable to. White power. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's true. It's true. Though, but well, I think a lot of people stop just short of that. Not even just short. Just way far away from that. Actually. <laughs> yeah. And but some people go that extra thing because they want to be a part of a group. Because because them not being marginalized makes them feel marginalized. Mm. Me, you feel guilty. Well, I mean, it's it's the the white guilt. I don't thing. get to be a victim. I want to be a victim now. But, you know, that's <laughs> the it. thing is because I mean, you can say that there's been wrongs done to people, and then groups and minorities as groups. But then part of the problem, and then part of the arguments against identity politics, it's based in victimhood. Okay, so here's my thoughts on victimhood and identity politics. I can certainly see the victim aspect of it. But at the same time, just because one side of the political spectrum has turned that has turned victimhood into a pejorative doesn't negate the fact that those groups have been victimized. <laughs> like it's still true those groups encountered were treated terribly and the effects of the the effects of that terrible treatment are still like we don't even have any idea like how much they affect today, but they certainly are. So 
really the question, or really the thing becomes is, it's okay to, like, my perspective on this is, it's okay to acknowledge that you and the group that you belong with were historically victimized. It's okay to just, like, accept that. But at the same time, it, that can be a part of your identity, but you have to just, like, not live in that, basically. But don't ever let anyone tell you that you weren't a victim or that you weren't a victim. Like, yeah. This, <laughs> or the group that you brought up weren't a, wasn't a victim of anything. It's no big deal. You're fine. What are you talking about? Yeah, like there's it, it's when you're ignoring history is the problem. Mm. You go like, no, there's no such thing as that didn't happen. We're all equal. Be like, no, you're ignoring a not, whole lot of history and then in that just way. More specifically, just to push push on that, it's not that ignoring history is the problem. That definitely is a problem. But also just trying to, I guess, downplay how much of that history plays into like what people are experiencing today. I mean, there are countless examples of, well, when it comes to, when in the context of America and the relationship between black people and specifically, and white people specifically, there are tons of examples of discrimination that, like, have been recorded, like school professors when, or university professors, when they uh, got, when they did that experiment, uh, when they sent the emails out to the teachers, Students that had like black sounding names yeah, or African sounding names <laughs> were responded to at a lower rate. Now, there could be many reasons as to why that happened, but at the same time, the optics, <laughs> the optics looks like, huh? Well, you know, that's the thing with research. You do the, the study again, or you find a different way to do it, and if you get the same result over and over and over, then it's a very true. It's a conclusion. Well, there's always a conclusion, but it's more sturdy, concrete, and then valid. I, and then I also just were you gonna say something else? No, I'm trying to find the um, the study. That study. Yeah. Well, not emails. that study, but there was a thing that happened in. Um, it might have been Harvard because it was the school was sued because their uh, admission policy. Uh, policies for Asian students. It's like they were. Oh, uh, you're talking about the affirmative action yeah. thing that's happened in uh, God. Is it Stanford or Harvard? One of those Ivy League schools. One of them. I don't remember which one it is, but I know exactly what you're talking about. How the uh, some of the Asian students in that that are part some of the Asian students that are going there or want to go there are suing because they are being discriminated against, and rightfully so because it came out that. They Asian students have to score higher on the like they have to score like 350 points higher to get into the universities or like the the best universities. Yeah, and the it came out that that was happening because the administration of the university, which everyone is, God, I hope someone finds that and tells me, Cody, Matt, I hope you guys. <laughs> well, there was it was, but anyway. Uh, they were doing that because they <laughs> felt that the concentration of Asian students at those universities had become too high. Too many Asians. Exactly. Is what they were saying. It's, in it sounds <laughs> exactly as bad as it is. It was Harvard. All right. Well, it was Harvard. Justice Department. Yeah, the headline is Justice Department backsuit accusing Harvard of discriminating against Asian Americans. Now, here's the thing. I only just thought about this a few seconds ago when, like, I said affirmative action. I kind of connected the dots right here, and it's something kind of funny. I hope it isn't true, but if it does, it'd be hilarious. So, 
when affirmative action was instituted, people think that it's only there to like, oh, it's to help, you know, black kids get into college. No, it's just to help like any underserved minority student get into college. So let's look at the factors here. You have Asian Americans who, uh, if you listen to statistics, are more likely to score perform higher in academics. And then two, you have affirmative action, which is meant to give minority students a better chance of getting into like those great schools. So you put two and two together, and it seems like affirmative action like has made this happen. <laughs> Like, because you have these this group of, uh, like, high-achieving individuals, and you've given them an easier time, or you, you've made it uh, easier for them to get into these, like, pretty much covered institutions to get in these positions, then what else did you think was going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the weird thing, like, about identity politics is at some point you could make it really simple. And when it gets too simple, then it's a problem, but it's actually complicated between majority and minorities in the composition of the United States. And, like, when somebody's underserved or when they're not underserved, like, it's not, I don't know, it's just not that simple. And I think that's the problem a lot of times is you can make it too simple. If you're, like, if you're this, you are this, and then you fit in these categories, Yeah. You want to take another swing at that well, one, Cody? I... <laughs> Pass. I I think like I think I think sometimes people like to just forget about the spirit of those sort of things of affirmative action. Yes, yes, <laughs> and. Uh, this is this is this is going on another point i think i think and it's and it's and it's say what you feel i'm, I'm bringing it back to i'm bringing it back to terrible white people <laughs> um and those sort of, i don't know if you've heard about those situations like in especially like the tech fields where like uh where minorities and women are very underrepresented and and there's like a ton of uh these special like classes and uh, just sort of things to boost those sort of numbers. And there's all these weird white folks that are just like, this is racist. <laughs> Let me get in there. You know? And it's like, I, I understand what you're saying, but come on, dude. I understand exactly what you're talking about, and I like how you use the word, the spirit of these things. It kind of goes back to that point you made a while back about that law that, like, allowed uh, the <laughs> the legal age of consent was 16. Oh, oh yeah, and man. And it was basically, like, <laughs> you basically said, yeah, oh, yeah, the age of consent is 16, so an 18-year-old boy yeah, can so go Yeah, so somebody who just <laughs> turned 18... And they're with their girlfriend, like. So ah. that kid can't get in trouble, or he'll won't get in as much trouble. That rule is not for forty or fifty year olds out here fucking children. It's called the spirit of the law. That's not what that rule is for, and that's kind of similar to what you said, like regarding like how the, these kind of upset groups of white people are just like, oh, that's discrimination. Why can't I get that? Okay, yeah, you're right, man. It is discrimination, but also... 
It's Come on. there's <laughs> other discrimination that they're trying to correct. It's like for you to go, oh, but it's unfair because I'm being discriminated against. Well, it's like, well, you need to acknowledge that this is to correct previous discrimination because it's like the test where you look at a resume and then the name sounds uh, black. So then they're like, no, I'm afraid of somebody that's not white. That's the thing that they're trying to correct because it's innate discrimination. God. And, and there was at one point regarding that regarding the uh, study about the uh, the emails and the black sounding names like at one point I was prepared to give those teachers the benefit of the doubt because just because <laughs> I mean because if you look at some names like I'm totally willing to believe that most people are just cognitive misers who just like don't want to expend any kind of effort on thinking about something that they're not used to thinking a whole lot about. If you're not used to thinking about somebody's name or how to pronounce somebody's name, I can totally see how if you encounter a difficult-to-pronounce name, you're just going to be like, fuck it's, that. It's about I'm labor. I never want to have to try to say that person's name because I know it's wrong. <laughs> you're not my office. But at the same time, I mean... If it was specifically <laughs> to black people and black sound. Well, that's names. the thing. I think part of the study was like, because it's the same exact application. So it's the same, like, oh, they are qualified. Everything mm-hmm. under the name says they're qualified. But then they're like, no, it's too hard. Yeah. So there was a time when I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I guess maybe I can give them a little bit of wiggle room, but not so much. <laughs> not that much anymore. It's it's interesting because that's kind of where uh, the the more national politics come into play. Because if you think of identity politics and then laws, laws are crafted to address underlying problems in society. So there's a reason that affirmative action against it was to correct discrimination. Mm. So if you're voting according to identity politics, it's you're kind of voting for those laws to be corrected in your favor and actual legis- legislation to be legislated to make things more equal. And now, okay, so this isn't about identity politics. This is just kind of like I want to touch on affirmative action a little bit more because I've just been reading about it so much. So there are other like intellectuals like in the black community who make the claim that affirmative action has gone too far. Uh, some of them being uh, Thomas fucking soul. Uh, Kyle really likes that guy. Nah. I mean, he's a, he's an intelligent fellow, uh, but that's, it's, I'll just it's dripping with that. acid. when you say the word intelligent? <laughs> he's just, a smart mother. Of fucking I'll fuck. just leave it at that. But anyway, some of them contend explicit, that, uh, <laughs> explicit a, podcast. A few people contend that affirmative action has kind of done, just gone too far for the black community. I think some of the examples that they cite are, uh, some schools like MIT, the, some black students that scored that were in like the top 10 percentile or 90 percentile like i forgot how that works but top they were really good at mathematics i'll just say that and because of affirmative action they were placed in mit but even though they were really good at math like compared to anybody in the country they were at the bottom level when it came to math at mit so uh People, and if I can remember the names, the, the argument was made that 
these students were mismatched with the colleges. Like, oh, they could have succeeded other places. Uh, they just can't be. They just aren't good enough to be at MIT. Oh. Wait, is it because like MIT has a lot of international students? Or? I don't know. Like, I I didn't I didn't read that. That could have been there, but like that could be in some article that I haven't read yet. But I didn't read that. It could be that that's what it is. But I think the bottom line was that MIT is just like this elite school that houses elite people and the elite minds and these students, these well, these black students that came in. Like even though they were really good at what they did, they weren't like good enough to be at MIT. Mm. Is what was said. But anyway. The thing about the most important thing to draw from that was the idea of mismatch, which is to say that these basically to say that these black students didn't belong at MIT anyway. That's like the really politically incorrect way to say it. And so, like, if you take that a step further, it just kind of means like you're making. You know, you know what? I'm not gonna make that point. It sounds bad when you say it. Yeah, because it (laughs) sounds really bad. Because you're just assuming that they're not capable of rising to the ability to match the uh standards of mit exactly i mean, I couldn't survive at mit but then but you're not that smart cody no Neither i'm not <laughs> that's I. why i'm not i need code mit <laughs> i've never it's not you'll find nowhere anywhere in our content that says i'm that smart but it annoys me because the people that propose that line of thinking, they were just that just like say, oh, they were mismatched. Clearly, these black students didn't belong there. They could have succeeded at any other of these nice schools. Uh, but at the same time, like they say that and make that statement without asking the question of, well, why were they mismatched? Like, why is this place like so like foreign to them that they can't survive? I mean, of course, you can throw in the fact that, like, oh, they're just not small enough. They were at the bottom 10%, you know, when they got there. But at the same time, there's the point you made where it's just where you said you're just assuming that they won't be able to get to a higher level eventually. And uh, I mean, what does that mean about, like, even if you're at MIT, if you're the dumbest person at MIT, <laughs> you're just smarter than all at, three You're still in MIT, <laughs> man. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because I'd assume even if there's affirmative action, you still there's still standards. Even if you have yeah. a little bit of help, it's not like they go, "All right, dumbass, you're just gonna come here, and we hope that you don't fuck up." <laughs> like it's not. I don't think it's that simple. Yeah. yeah, you'll just go into the theoretical field, right? <laughs> you're gonna be learning algebra for four years at MIT. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but there's a lot more to that, and hopefully we'll get to it at some point on another podcast. Yeah, but uh, us talking about affirmative action just made me think about that affirmative action and identity politics, and inevitably race made me th- all those things made me think about that situation. I I think that's the issue with identity politics that people have is if you're in a conversation and then in a global sense or national sense, identity politics it makes sense where it's intelligent and it makes sense to have identity politics because there's strength in uniting as a group because you have political power that way. But it's the thing where you talk to an individual and then you use identity politics or you bring it up in a conversation with somebody to where it's like all of a sudden they're not an individual in that conversation. They go, because you're this, you believe this, and this is how you fit in the overall national argument. You're like, you're pigeonholing me to a whole group of people where it's not that simple. (laughs) But it kind of is because it's statistics. Exactly. So, I mean, that's that's the rub of it. That's why people get mad about identity politics. I mean, 
my eternal answer to that will be well this isn't my original answer but it's just something that i heard and i liked it is that people don't live in averages so even though we have those even though we have the statistics obviously like it doesn't really count for much when you deal with an individual like hashtag ecological fallacy yeah (laughs) i i would say that a good rule of thumb a heuristic is use empathy and listen when you're talking to somebody, whoever they are, whatever they look like. Because it's there's no way to have a conversation if you don't. And if the first thing you do, if you don't listen because you assume too much, because you go, they're this, therefore they believe they're this, then it's not going to be a good conversation. I will add on to that and say have empathy and also be willing to change your opinions. Yeah. Because I remember the first day I taught, uh, like the first day I taught class, and one of the students was well, we were going over, like, I was asking the questions about, like, what do you think this class is about? What do you think American government's about? What do you think about politics? Da, 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 all that kind of stuff. And then one of the students kind of asked me, well, she asked, like, hey, do you think it's possible? Like, what's, how do you pers- what's the best way to persuade people or get people to change their minds and opinions? <laughs> Your response and, is you can't. <laughs> no, like, I mean, yeah, that was basically my response. But at the same time. Electroshock. <laughs> oh, God. That also works. <laughs> Uh, but basically, I told her just like, all right, for most people, like the vast majority of people, I don't think that you can change their opinion on things. And that just comes from me like being aware of things like motivative reasoning, uh, heuristics. It's harder to change those things. than stay the same. So it's easier to just keep your own opinion. Yeah, like, what, can I finish, Cody? No, I'm Jesus. sorry. God. I'm, I'm done. I'm just like a straight white slash gendered oh. male. I'm just going to take that. Always talking over the minority. And not say anything. Jesus. But anyway, I told her, I don't think you can change someone's opinion, but I do think that you could be, that you can do a good job of manipulating someone into being your friend. And so the thing, the reason why I told her that was just think about the dynamic of the dynamics of the relationships we have with your friends. Like if there's just someone that you're talking to, or I guess in this situation, you probably arguing with like you, you don't feel anything about pissing that person off about, or like just getting in their face and just saying all kinds of shit to that person or that person being mad at you for the rest of your life. But if that person is your friend, you are less likely to do all those things. You're less likely to, uh, to be Shit okay. The well, I was gonna say you're less likely to be okay with that person not being friends with you or thinking horrible things about you, and therefore you'll probably be willing to make the effort to at some point change your opinion about things. But at the same, but really the the crux of this is be friends with people so you can manipulate them to your side. <laughs> That's the key. I've been secretly manipulated for like several years. Yeah. I just realized it. Where am I? <laughs> what is this doing? Oh, it's a mic. Just like slowly, slowly push people to the left. Well, that's where they want to be anyway. But so we disagree. We disagree on how friends work. I think a little bit. Mm. Well, you're not <laughs> like you don't need to change because if so, if you are someone's friend, and then you find out that you disagree with them on every on everything. And maybe you have a friend like that, but I don't have many friends that I disagree with on everything. On everything. That's a reason for them not to be your friend. Because generally you have a friend, and then you get along well enough, you don't need them to change that much. You're like, that's my friend, that's how they are. you got to manipulate them. Tolerate the other stuff, 
and then you just kind of get along with the things that you get along with. That's my view of friendship, at least. What uh, is the end goal of manipulating them? Uh, to get them on your side. Are so you building an army? Another, huh? Are you building an army? I'm not. No. <laughs> wait, wait, that was a weird face. <laughs> <laughs> what have you heard? No, are you nothing? Well, that's good, because there is no army. Kyle has a that black bag know. next to him. I'm afraid there's sharp objects in there. But I'm just saying, he has if... an army of dogs versus an army. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was trying to remember. <laughs> Call back. But also, <laughs> if, always remember. If you always do know something about me building an army of people, uh, you should totally sleep with your doors unlocked and ignore all noises you hear tonight. When we have a million listeners, and you disappear. There's going to be... Oh, yeah. That's what I was actually leading towards. You're better at, at my own, me surviving than I am. You might be better at words, too. Mm. <laughs> I like you so much, Cody. <laughs> Keep your pretty mouth shut. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about earlier, when you were talking about the Asian students having to get, like, way higher scores on things. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking of, uh, of taking... Uh, Taking that idea with the emails sent out with the uh, with the black folks' names. Uh-huh. Okay, that same thing. It's like they're looking at it. They're like Robert Lee. Hmm, <laughs> could be third generation Korean American. Could be old Southern money white person. Win <laughs> <laughs> win. <laughs> my brain's telling me two separate things. I don't know what to do. Hmm. Hmm. So the lesson for the day, everyone, is. Get friends and manipulate them as best you can. Isn't that the name of a book? You should write a self-help book. No, that's how to lose friends and alienate people. Yeah, alienates. How to make friends and alienate. Maybe it's lose friends and alienate. I think it is that one. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm so glad that you uh, you guys can tolerate my opinions. Was that a Sieg? Well, it was until you opened your goddamn mouth. Did I step mouth. on the seat? <laughs> Did I fumble on the Segway? Yeah. What uh, the fuck is a seat? Too, <laughs> too bad you just couldn't flow into it like a goddamn professional. You, right. You're outvoted, by the way. It's pronounced Segway. It's, it's Sieg. It's pronounced Segway. It's Sieg. Trust me. It's I, was, uh, I was being a mall security guard the other day, and I was riding <laughs> on my Sieg. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paul Bart. <laughs> <laughs> Hey-oh! Ooh! <laughs> Unsuccessful movie He's going to turn my pitch way up to where I just sound like I sucked at a bunch of helium later. <laughs> so if you hear this when I sound like, Hi! I have serious opinions about politics! I'm not 12. <laughs> also, uh, I cannot tolerate anything that you're doing right now. Then you're going to just have to escort me with physical force <laughs> and do extra uh, legal measures. Which is... Oh, God. When are you going to ride that segue into the thesis statement? And that's, <laughs> and that's how we make the transition into the paradox of tolerance. Ah, that was a good ride. And seeing as how Cody fucked up <laughs> my uh, almost seamless sieg into this topic, Cody can explain what the tolerance paradox is. I forgot the guy's name. What is the guy's Carl name? Carl Popper. Carl Popper. Coral. Cur- <laughs> Walking Dead, Curl Popper. <laughs> hey, I'm Curl There's Pop-man. two rules. It's in the simplest form. It's kind of like the three laws of robotics. But the two rules is everything is tolerated except for intolerance. Hence the paradox. Exactly. And you can use force to get rid of the 
intolerance. Tolerance? Yeah, you're right. Keep going. Use your words. I fear the right word. <laughs> but the idea is you only use that force if society itself doesn't remove that intolerance. So if like societal shame or if pressure doesn't get rid of it and it kind of consumes the culture, that's when you can remove the intolerance by but force. What about my god dang freedom of speech and the right to say whatever I want? No matter how much the blacks hate it. Are you committing violence or provoking violence? I'm strongly implying that violence may or may not be necessary at some point. Well, then if you are the cause of violence, then I'd say prosecute. And then if somebody commits an act of violence, if law still works, But how do you know that I'm the cause of the violence? I don't know. That's the thing with I'm words. the cause of the violence. <laughs> oh, you made the thought crime literal. <laughs> that would be funny if that's what happens in every speech. David now, see, turns around. But, like, that's actually a legitimate thing. Okay, so... I am in favor. Well, I agree with the uh, Karl Popper's Karl Popper's tolerance paradox exactly for the <clears throat> whatever it was I was just doing there, pretending to be a racist character, using freedom of speech. Kyle's to, a secret racist white man to insinuate uh, that other people should be harmed because it seems like because we have freedom of speech. And because we have elements in society that are willing to use that freedom of speech to, uh, I guess, facilitate or encourage harmful behavior for other groups. And on top of that, because we live in a society that is a democracy where these groups can easily, well, I don't want to say easily, but there is a good chance that these groups and individuals can get some kind of political power and start changing things uh, not to the favor of these of the groups that they don't like. I think from that perspective, having said that, that the tolerance paradox is uh, is acceptable. That's an acceptable way of dealing with intolerance is just to get rid of it. And then for everybody that says like, oh, well, you can't. You you can't change the First Amendment and freedom of speech. That's that's my right, dude. It's like you just said. We've already come up with multiple ways that kind of that. Well, not kind of. They actually yeah do just taper freedom of speech. You can't shout fire in a movie theater because you cause chaos and potential damage. Exactly. Once again, pointing to the example of the fact that we have these ways of tapering people's freedom of speech for the overall good of society. I. I'd like, and I wish, so I think that I said this last week, but it's the thing about one person says something that's racist or disrespectful, and then if everybody around him go like, that's not cool, and everybody's like, forget about him, he's racist. Mm. Then it's fine, because they don't, that doesn't affect somebody's reputation, or it doesn't affect how the law treats you, or how your government treats you. But it is the thing that it's like, once people that hold those views are in power are also in a position to change the laws to disenfranchise you as a minority, mm. then that's a real problem. But then it's the other thing. It's like if they're voted democratically into office and that's a country saying, but then that is, that's messed up because they're saying we don't care about you as a people. Insert little factoid here. David Duke was a state representative for Louisiana. <laughs> He's not still, right? No, he <laughs> okay. uh, left office in 1992. Oh, but also, think about that. David fucking Duke 
Ku Klux Klan men, whatever the fuck it is, Grand Supreme Gandalf Wizard, White Wizard, was a state representative Did he talk about in Louisiana and-, and didn't leave until 1992, which, by the way, is the year apartheid ended. I mean, I guess he just like decided, all right, they're letting the colleges in South Africa free now. I guess I'll just throw in the towel. He moved to Antarctica to be farther away. <laughs> I'm too close. But I say that because just to demonstrate the example of, okay, so if you have a person who makes intolerance palatable to other people, which David Duke definitely did, like he started all that and people like Richard Spencer have continued that trend, he made hate speech palatable palatable to people. But that's that tricky thing, though, to where the way he makes it palatable is to make it about other issues. It's like the... If somebody can have an idea about how the United States government spends their money and they say, too much money on welfare. Like, and then they go, because we have too much debt if we spend too much on welfare. Although we do spend a lot of money on our military too. So there's different things. Mm. But then it's, that person can be racist and then also be thinking about the financial future Ah. of the country or they can be both. That is true. So it's the problem to where it's like, you can hide your secret racism underneath a topic and there's no way to know and then as soon as you start legislating or saying you can't say that, that's making the assumption they're racist when they might not be. That's just their policy view. That is true. But also they could be racist. I know. <laughs> it's it's a par- it's a Pandora's racist box. <laughs> okay. No, Pandora's racist cat. Are okay, these people who like get on board, are they racist? Or are they just stupid? Like where, That's where, awesome. where, where, where say, are you putting yes. that at? <laughs> are they racist or are they just stupid? Are they are are they being manipulated by somebody else? Are they jumping on board because this dude is loquacious? Or I was going to say you know? just very it. very charismatic and able to speak to them in the way that like, they prefer. Yeah, do you yeah. say? Yeah, I like this guy. <laughs> you I, you can't I vote hate black people now. <laughs> Uh, but that is the question. But at the same time, just here's my response to that. It mat for me because I am a black person, and no matter if you agree with him or you're just a stupid person who comes to the conclusion that this guy is right, and then I'm I'm against you, man. I have to be because like that's that's my safety at the end of the day. It's the same and my ability to way. exist in this country. Yeah, but I feel like I would still be against those people. If they were on the other side, too. And they're just like, yeah, dude, this... Fu- yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, if they're just... Yeah, that's... People who are, like, <laughs> easily swayed. I don't like those people. Yeah. All right. So, I'm going to put on my authoritarian cap. All right. This is the first time it's come out in the podcast. <laughs> oh, it yeah. was there the entire time. Okay, so... If I don't mind if you are a person who is easily led, I really don't. It just matters to me what you are being led to. Oh. If a person, <laughs> if you, if if a, if you are a person who is easily led and you are letting David Duke lead you, then yeah, I have a problem with that. Because but I, for uh, ah, let me finish. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I have a problem with you being led by David Duke. But at the same time, if you're a person that's easily led and you're being led by, I don't know. Uh, 
the guy who does all those paintings in that TV show? That Bob Ross. Bob Ross. If you're yeah. being led by Bob if Ross, If you're being that's led okay. by Bob Ross, <laughs> then uh, that's fine. Because ultimately, what would, like the line that we have to draw is harm. Like, how much harm can you do if you follow this person versus how much harm can you do if you follow the other person? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if if having easily swayed morals is an okay thing for me. <laughs> oh, but very, very... But that's the thing, is if you have a strong belief in something, you're not willing to compromise and you don't move, then that's that can still be a problem. Yeah, you're right. You're like, you're like no, I won't listen to you because my morals say that I can't. Like, and that's... The- that's true, but I think I think that if you that if you are in a good place, then that's that's the best, and anything less is terrible, probably. And the moral of the, today's story is just be informed. Yeah, I think part of it is somebody can sway you. I think it's cultivation theory. So it's the thing about you watch TV, and then you don't have experience about. With something, say there's a TV show that's set in Detroit. Yeah, you've never been to Detroit, but then you watch a lot of TV shows and movies that shows Detroit in like abandoned buildings and shit. Mm-hmm. Then you're prone to think when you think of Detroit, you're gonna think of those images that you saw in the movies or TV shows. Right. I think, and this is me kind of going out on a limb. This is my opinion. But part of being easily slay- swayed is. The white dude that's listening to David you Duke. You want to know how I know it's your opinion? Because you're telling me your opinion. Don't you ever say those things. No, I'm joking, Cody. Continue. I was the, I was letting you talk, too. I didn't even go, like, stop it. <laughs> go. <laughs> no, but yeah. but if if you're easily swayed in a white dude and you're listening to David Duke, it might it's partly because you might not know anybody that's different than you. So you're just like, yeah, I've never seen somebody. So I guess I believe David Duke. Because he's my friend. Nah. I've never talked to a black person before, so I assume that they're taking my jobs and ruining the country. I wouldn't, well, I, you didn't say anything that wasn't true, but also I have a hard time believing that. Just like, oh, I don't know no black people. <laughs> Clearly, they're this way because David Duke said so. That person sounds really dumb. <laughs> he does. Oh, see, you just did it there because I imitated a southern accent. You just no, it was it was, was the dumb. words you used. Oh, okay. Or no, actually, it's not dumb. It's gullible. Okay. Gullible's not dumb. It just means that you're easily led. Oh, just ignorant. Yeah, ignorant. it would be ignorant and gullible. I said that word weird. Matt, you look like you want to say. I feel like I feel like I feel like being ignorant. Is fine if you're if you just are aware that you don't know anything. No nodes. <laughs> but if you're just <laughs> if you're staunchly a racist or something, and you've never met a black person, that just seems weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> The way you lay it out, that does logically. That, that makes a lot strange. of yeah. That sounds real silly. You just weren't listening hard enough to David Duke when he spoke. <laughs> you did get charmed by his deep blue eyes. I assume they're blue. I don't know. I don't know either. They're piercing. Yeah, piercing blue eyes, like the devils. But also back to the tolerance paradox. I mean, I guess it just boils down to well. 
it seems like the things that make the uh, tolerance paradox valid, not tolerating intolerance, is the the I guess the human factor in it, and the human factor being we are people like we are people that are susceptible to being led by these charismatic figures. And having said that, that means that we may or may not, a lot of us might not like pay attention. Some (laughs) people. Some people. Some people. That just means that we may not necessarily pay attention to like any other information or facts, or we might downplay those things, anything that's contrary to like what is being told to us by these demagogues, by these charismatic demagogues. Yeah. And because of that... There's really no way to fight it other than just saying, just then shutting it down immediately. It's that thing. I don't know why it happens in politics, but it's it would be better off if we didn't make the person running for office be the office. What? Or like if you're trying to make somebody be a senator or you're a state senator, you have a definition of a senator. You say what they do. This is what I think they're going to do. This is what a senator is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Represent me in the re- in, in Congress. And make sure my state served and also the, the United States is served. If you respect that as office versus the office is whatever the person in that office makes it. It's like... This is the only example I can think of, so I just use it. Donald Trump is president of the United States. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is a man. So, like, you don't have to make him be... He's not the United States. He's a man who is also the president right now. Like, right. your loyalty is to the United States. It's uh, not to the okay. president of the United States. Right. But if you let somebody get in that position to where they turn it into, like, I am this, and then all of a sudden you're not thinking of a higher abstract ideal or, like, what you think the United States is or your country is then you're kind of screwed because there's no higher or, guide. It's just whatever the person wants it to be, which could be his own selfish means or whatever makes his life. Better. I was going to say, so like, or are you trying to say that like, once this person like becomes like, um, if you stop viewing this person as a entity within an institution, but not as the institution itself. Yes. That's when problems start. Yeah. So that's... You have to look at, you know, whoever is the president as a human being, as a person that exists in an institution. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And once you stop doing that, then it becomes a problem, right? Yeah, because otherwise you don't have any rule. Because the the part of the intolerance thing is it says you can go go to the extreme to remove intolerance. Mm. The problem is that is a far road to where once you go to that extreme, what can you do anymore? Because all of a sudden you've gone extra legal. So you've broken your own laws. Eh. But you would say if you're doing it for the purpose of keeping the institutions alive, and that's the only way the institution survives because they're violating a clause of your institution saying, like, that's not, you're not supporting equality anymore, and you're essentially encouraging disenfranchisement of a minority or a group of your own population, then it's a problem. I was, well, if that made any sense, I don't know. I hate use I hate using Nazi examples because it seems like they're just like the perfect representation of everything <laughs> evil. Like everything that could be referenced ultimately comes back to Nazis in Germany, and I guess ultimately that's where the tolerance paradox kind of stems from. I mean, because when you think of 
Hitler and his followers, they didn't start off as these, as like this force to be reckoned with. It was just a charismatic demagogue with a few followers. And then somehow, because people tolerated their existence and people just didn't outright just kick them, boot them out of society. I mean, I guess they tried. They did kill a lot of people. There was that night of something to where they killed a bunch of their opposition. The night of the long knives. Yeah, it was that. That's where they just murdered all their opposition. Yeah, that, like yeah, one that's, night. yeah, that's what Hitler did to his enemies. Yeah, like, that's that's not what something that's not something that got done to Hitler and you know his followers. No, but anyway, wait a minute. Hitler, Austrian. Karl Popper, Austrian. <laughs> Is that actually true? <laughs> Is he Austrian? I don't know if Karl Popper's Austrian. He could be. Karl Popper, family Jewish, converted to Lutheranism. <laughs> are we making, are we drawing, are we connecting dots here? What it is, sounds like we're connecting dots. I'm just saying, man. Tom Papa, is that the guy in the band? <laughs> I've never what? seen no, where are we going? Karl Popper <laughs> and Woodrow Wilson in the same room. Is <laughs> <laughs> a third man. No, but uh, <laughs> back on a serious note, uh, no, it's like, it's you know, that thing, like talking about the individual, I think, have you ever heard the concept of the ugly American? Mm, that was a great show. It was a great show. <laughs> I love ugly Americans, yeah. But uh, the ugly American is like, is, uh, is Americans who go over to Europe to vacation and they're rude and boorish as hell. And that's the concept, the ugly American. Y'all got any hamburgers in here? This is Germany, ain't it? <laughs> exactly, <Huh>? exactly. <laughs> and that's fine. And that's crowd out and, I don't care. And you, you know the stereotype because it's like very prevalent, you know. <laughs> Y'all got any French fries in here? This is France. <laughs> ain't it French? <laughs> I'm sorry, I meant freedom fries. <laughs> I mean, anyway. They call their fry, They call their French fries chips over here. It's fucking weird. Hey, you got a Budweiser? Yeah, but that's how I feel like a lot of Europeans see Americans. And especially now that Donald Trump is the president, that's how America is viewed as Donald Trump. Everyone is Donald Trump. I got better hair. (laughs) I have more of it. Oh, God, I don't even remember what I was saying. I don't know. Tolerance but, paradox. Yeah, I don't know Nazis. if there's a solution to it. It's just like it ends in Nazis, and when can you go? No, no, all no. I was just, I, I guess I was trying to set up a frame for in what context would not tolerating intolerance be acceptable. And I guess I always come back to the fact in the context of America, that is the, well, any democratic society, basically. Any democratic society. The concept of the of not tolerating intolerance is completely acceptable, for the reasons that we've already collectively mentioned. You know, well, were you sorry? No, I wasn't finished, I, Cody. I, well, you white, cisgendered male, cis, goddamn cisgendered. Oh, are you are you explaining things to me now? You man, I'm not mad. You can't mansplain to a man. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Were you dead? And check your pri- No, I wasn't done. Oh, okay. It's- God. I didn't know if you were. Just- it is perfectly acceptable for the intolerance paradox. Uh, is valid in democratic societies. Why? 
one in the context of America, we have racial tension between groups. Some of the specifically <laughs> hate groups that, if given the power, would attempt to marginalize the communities that they don't like. Two, because of our political system, those groups have just as much right as you or me to, or have just as much of a chance as you and me of may someday making it into office and getting their policies uh, and, and getting their policies implemented in society. Three, if you are one of those groups, it really doesn't take much to get people to your side. One, you just use, I guess, palatable language to get people. And through that palatable language, just like your beliefs become way more amenable to people. And fast forward a few years later, you've got an entire cohesive group willing to do the things or willing to vote for you or vote for you, vote you into office and support the changes that you want in America. So given those three things in the context of America, it is completely acceptable to when you see intolerance, like explicit intolerance. And when I say explicit intolerance, I mean people who are like out and proud, uh, white supremacists yeah things like that yeah. it is completely okay to not tolerate those people in your society because they present a inherent harmful an inherent danger to just like not just black people just society itself well yeah if you're if you're a white supremacist everybody i mean i was gonna say the the sticky you may speak bit with that is um like, how do you figure out when somebody is being explicitly racist? But if it is somebody that's, like, an out-and-out anti-Semitic person, like, you would have to have a really, really, really high standard. Because it goes back to you don't know the intent of why somebody said something. If they if if they say it's based on policy, you don't know if they, in their brain, they're like, this is going to disenfranchise minorities more, so I'm going to just go with this policy. But I'm not going to say that. I'm going to use a different argument. That could be true, but you don't know, so you you can't just assign guilt at that point. It would be a thought crime, like, and you can't go that far because that is authoritarian. If you start like legislating thought crimes, uh. <laughs> oh <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, because I see what you're saying, but I'm also going to kind of switch gears a little bit because I'd like to talk. Okay, so it seems like kind of what you were getting at is that the problem of escalation. So when I say escalation, when we're talking about this, if we were a society that started punishing hate groups that I guess propagated hate speech, like white supremacists, then the problem there would be you would get more Richard Spencer's more people who are not like out and out explicitly racist. They just change their language to where they still believe in white supremacy, but it's in a way that you can't, easily detect yeah so yeah i totally get that i also would like to mention that whenever we talk about or whenever anyone talks about hate speech it just kind of seems like they give up uh, well whenever anyone talks about hate speech and trying to make legislation against hate speech no matter what side you're on uh, left or right whether you agree with it or disagree with it it seems like 
no one even mentions the fact that there should be some kind of effort in our society to kind of codify exactly what hate speech is. I mean, I was going to look that up because there might be a legal definition of it. No, I don't, there isn't. There isn't? There isn't. Or at least not a good one. <laughs> and so, like, just because of that. Now, I'm in total agreement, agreement with you on, like, the point that if we just start saying hate speech is illegal and we don't know what hate speech is, then it's just too broad of a subject and anyone can, like, be arrested and punished for saying, like, shit that might not... That just sounds bad, but not, might not really it's, be hate speech. It kind of goes... Because they, they have the hate speech thing in Canada where they have, like, the extra court where you can, like, sue somebody for hate speech. Mm -hmm. But do they define what hate speech is? I don't know if they do. Because, like, there's the problem where there's the line between... Like, what is the line between... It, I guess this is my question. What is the difference between somebody being offended and somebody being harmed? Because if you're offended, that's too low a bar. Because mm. you're offended every day. Like, All right, so... I don't think it's really necessary to like draw a line between offended and harmed when it comes to hate speech if we like had a good definition for it because ultimately uh if you you can assume that if you're harmed you're going to be offended and it's probably not it's probably not the other way around but if you're harmed it's going to be offended. Okay, what if it's in the context? But, sorry. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm sorry, I didn't finish my thought. You broke my train of thought. <laughs> Are you offended? Go ahead and what <laughs> go ahead and say what you're gonna say, Cody. No, nah, I was gonna bring up jokes. Like if you're a comedian, and then the point of the joke. But if there's not, like, if you make the joke, if you're making an offensive joke, or if you're making a joke that's intended to be offensive, should you be punished for that? Like, yeah, is that what you're trying to get at? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so. I hate using this because I think it's a lazy argument. Well, the context is different, meaning that if you're a comedian on stage, then uh, anything that you say could should like obviously be taken in jest because you are defining yourself, you are identifying as a comedian, and nothing you said should be taken seriously. But in addition to that. You're a comedian and you have a platform and you're spreading the things that you think to other people. And so if people start thinking that these serious topics are, or everybody's not going to think that these serious topics are funny, but it only takes one asshole. Or, well, you know, no. But that's wait, a, that's wait you can't way. make that argument if one asshole does something and we're all say, responsible that's for a that bad asshole. Way of thinking it. But at the same time, you're making light of situations that are pretty serious. So, I mean,. Uh, I don't know which I don't know which way to go on this. One. Yeah, at some point you need somebody to judge it to. If somebody says that was well, it, you need a, a good definite. You have to have a good definition of it to to use it as law or to codify it. And then you would also need somebody that's able to judge if it counts falls under that definition. Because it's like somebody. It's the thing where somebody says they're offended and they go, "That's hate speech." And then the other person goes, no, it was a joke. I don't feel that way. And then you have to have somebody else that can actually adjudicate it and decide if it was like, did you, I, as the judge, do I say that you perpetuated this stereotype and you perpetuated this hatred in our society, therefore you're responsible 
but is making our society worse. I know you just used like uh, the comedian telling an offensive joke as an example, but I feel like that's something that happens enough to where like we should like kind of talk about it a little bit. I'm also like I understand that you're a comedian and you want to like be funny and make jokes, but at the same time, be a funnier comedian. Like make other jokes. I mean, it's not you don't have to make jokes about people being raped or things like that. I mean, Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt is not a clean comic by any means, but most of the, like, almost all the shit he says is just fucking hilarious. And guess what? He doesn't have to tell rape jokes. He doesn't have to tell uh, any other jokes that... See, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But I feel like once you start drawing those lines of what's okay and what's not okay to say, where do you stop? All right, so I want to be very clear. When it comes to comedy... I like I don't think there's a, a line there's no like litigious line that you have to draw where it's like oh well this is okay to say this is not okay to say but at the same time if you're a comedian and you're gonna make those jokes about rape you can't get mad when people are just like well you're a fucking asshole you can't get mad at no. that <laughs> no I don't I don't think you can but yeah. I think like but you using the like rape idea mm-hmm. I think like where do you stand on like abortion jokes so i feel like somebody who got offended at a rape joke would maybe get offended at an abortion joke, joke. Mm. well i have two thoughts because there's the already there's parody parody and satire and then that's how you can justify like having something that's similar to other art you say it's parody and you're commenting on the original art there's legal definitions within that and you could find one that say it's if you're on stage and then you're a comedian in satire or parody. Like, you're making fun of a concept or you're talking about a concept. I forgot my other point. But, I mean, that is, that's one if you want to, like, codify it and then talk about if that's an accepted area of speech. This is why, <laughs> well, having this conversation immediately makes me realize why people don't want to talk about how to, I guess characterize or frame hate speech because you run into these kinds of problems but that doesn't mean you shouldn't like have the kind because like there are people smarter than us in the world who can who can do these things and like probably have a better chance at making up what qualifies as hate speech and what doesn't and like what's okay to be said and what's not now i am making a litigious line i feel like (laughs) i feel like you're probably right to step it back to the comedian thing who who would and I don't know about like you know the hate speech sort of idea, but who who would you get to be the judge of that? Would they be an elected judge? We elect our judges in most places. Yeah, right, like so would it be a comedian or would it be like would it be a, a comedian judge? judge? Like would I guess a... like it would have to like look like uh, okay. So I'm just imagining it on the spot. If I only said... like Dalmatian <laughs> jokes. <laughs> Not enough doggies and babies like in your if... joke. If we lived in the world where people, like, were, I guess, litigated or, like, had to be punished in some legal way for saying offensive things, I guess, like, it would be, they would have to go in front of a group or committee consisting of, like, one, like... More of the, a quorum. The, the it, would, <laughs> it would need to be a quorum of comedians, and then they'd just Can say I if it's a good joke or not. white cisgendered males? <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> But are you, right. are you gonna go? <laughs> It'd be more. No, but seriously, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it 
it'll be more of a quorum. Like, obviously, a person, a member of, like, uh, the offended party would have to be there. When I say offended party, just like you'd have to be a part of the group that is offended. And then you'd have to have a neutral. It, it'd basically be like a jury, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see, to like, a jury of your peers. in there, like, <laughs> like, tattered shirt. Like, just walks in there hung over as hell with, like, a briefcase with, like, pieces of paper sticking out <laughs> of it. <laughs> you know, there were trial stuff with comedians, though. It's like, um, there there was the one comedian, they, there was a documentary about him. It's bad, I don't remember the name. But, like, he was charged for obscenity. So every time he went somewhere, like, he'd almost be arrested by the cops. Uh, yeah, was it George Carlin? I, or... He did get fined at one point. But it was a guy that's older, actually. It was Lenny Bruce. Yeah, it was Lenny Bruce. There's been things with speech to where they would go to a place and then they'd be offended and then like they would say, "You can't come here," and then he would like literally be arrested by the cops. Who's that one comedian? He recently got sentenced to prison for rape jokes. What sentenced to prison for rape jokes? Oh no, it's just rape. Oh, god damn it! It's not stand up, it's a podcast. <laughs> Don't arrest us. Louis C.K.? <laughs> uh, I think his name was Bill Cosby. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well done, Matt. Put up, uh, well done. Well done, sir. The jello with the pudding. <laughs> I can't do a good Bill Cosby impression. I try. I, I think, try. Well, there's not enough uh, drugs in my drink for you to. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Wait, would you like little. another one? I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I'm getting woozy. <laughs> <laughs> then it's work. I have a very high tolerance. Mostly because Matt's done this to me so many times. <laughs> you, you, know? got that, you got those half moon eyes going. <laughs> Podcasts make me sleepy. Oh, what, the podcast? <laughs> Matt, when did you do this? About a hundred episodes ago. <laughs> it was those pods I cast into your drinks. Oh, no. Right. That's why we don't have to pay Matt. <laughs> <All right. laughs> In other ways. Oh, no. no. <laughs> All right. So. Wee-o, wee-o, wee-o. That's the Final. cops. The <laughs> court, oh, okay. away. Yeah. This is recorded, by the way. <laughs> it's all admissible in court. Final thoughts on the topic of the tolerance paradox that was proposed by Karl Popper. I will repeat my thoughts. Can I, can I jump in real quick about this Karl Popper? Yeah, you can. Thing you right? already have. <laughs> Just real you quick. Jump. You know, jumped you know, right in. Yeah, you ever think. About what he was thinking when he came up with that. He was like, oh shit, dude. Hey dude, come read this. And then he's like, and he's smiling the whole time. And the guy reads it, he's like, it's pretty cute, man. <laughs> it's Look at how deep this shit is, man. <laughs> yeah, a, but that's exactly It's more of just like a cute statement that he made. It's so simple, it's just two rules. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's pretty apt. I mean, like, that's the thing is that, I don't know, I don't know if it needs words to be defined. I think people are just like, oh yeah, that dude's stupid. No, he's not stupid. <laughs> no, 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 not Karl Popper. Oh, okay. The, the people who are intolerant. Oh, just like, okay. oh, is it, dumb. there's like words or phrases that you could just summarize it like the, that's not cool man rules where you're like, you don't know exactly what it is, but there's a line somewhere where you have to go, you can't do that. You're just screwing up the entire game. You're ruining the party by what you're doing. You gotta leave. It's so... That Final not, thoughts. That's <laughs> there's no solution. Um, nah. Well, yeah. But I mean, there's no solution yet. It's a very cute statement. God, I would hope. Damn it! God damn it! Oh, sorry. 
final thoughts on the topic of the tolerance paradox as proposed by Karl Popper, I think that it is a valid concept, and but it is only valid in the right context. Now, in the context of America, well, the valid context being of the correct context where the concept becomes, you know, correct or valid is that you would have to live in a society that is democratic, have people who are easily led, and I think those are there was a third one that I mentioned. Well, there's got to be the potential for actual damage. Well, like persecuted minorities would be part of it if there's a group of the population uh, that's going to yeah. be and have inequality in yeah. societies. I know that's like a really broad term, but it seems like those are the three things that kind of validate Karl Popper's. If it's counter to the idea of an equal democracy, then that's when you don't tolerate intolerance. It's the self-defense mechanism at that point. That's a nice, simple way to put it. A nice little bow on it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to argue with that, but it feels... It's like anything where you go, if if anything where you have to say you have to get rid of a group of people, that's the hard part. That's the rub. And then, is it though? I mean, if the alternative is they're going to get rid of another group of people, then maybe not. Exactly. You know, tolerance is a weird word. Why? Because it's like starts with a T. Because <laughs> if I was just like, I tolerate you guys, you'd be like, well, kind of offended. By it's that. kind of an insult. <laughs> It's true. There's negative feelings if you deal with people. You can't just assume everybody's going to be happy with each other all the time. Well, people will be a lot happier if we just got rid of all the fucking white supremacists. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. And just all the white people. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm no. indifferent. Also... Because I can, I'm just going to say this as a last point. I can already hear some person driving in the car listening to this. Oh, so just white supremacists? What about black supremacists and all those other people who are ethnic, ethnic ident- or ethnocentric groups? Okay, I can see your point. But also, I would just like to throw this in your basket, and I just want you to chew on it for a little while. Why did those groups come into existence? Was it because they truly think that they're superior? Or is it because they're reacting to the entity of white supremacy that they're being exposed to? Next week on the podcast, QEP Newton. (laughs) Followed by Stokely Carmichael. And then we're going to talk about, we're going to watch the entire run of I Love Lucy and just talk about it. (laughs) Carlos face just said no and then after you think about that wonder if you got rid of the uh, I guess the the entity that was the impetus for the creation of all these ethnocentric groups or that might be probably is that is very likely to be the impetus for the creation of all these ethnocentric groups if you got rid of that one impetus which is white supremacy 
what do you think would happen to those other groups that you disagreed with? Do you think that they would become more powerful or they'd just be like, oh, okay. Oh, man. You've opened up fine now. You've opened up another another window, though. Because you can say, like. We're ending the podcast. All right. We'll talk about that next week. As always, thank you guys for listening. I'm Kyle. I'm Cody. And thank you for joining us for a bowl full of jambalaya. Mm Okay.